Disclaimer. Disclaimer. I hardly know her. This show is not suitable for young listeners due to explicit language and sometimes explicit themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 65 of Teach Me Tiger. Essentially, if anyone wants to be a comedian, you just have to be, you have to get used to being embarrassed all the time. (laughs) Right. And, And being like, can my failure be seen from space? Tiger, the show where I, Melody, get to chat with my friends, new and old, and learn about new stuff. So today's maybe less educational, but I promise it's going to be a blast. Less educational? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> well, maybe it's very educational. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Let's <laughs> find out. No pressure. If either of us is a scientist, let's find out. <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> a pilot, turns out. <laughs> Really? I can't wait to dig into that. (laughs) I'm Melody Starkweather, and guesting today is a bud from my Toronto days, Claire House. Hey, so you're going by Claire House as opposed to Saring House now? Oh my God. It just makes it easier. Like when I first arrived, I I live in London, England now. And when I first arrived and started doing stand-up, you just like when, when the MC announces your name and they don't know how to say it, there's just an extra five seconds that you don't need. (laughs) Right, right. Where they're pausing, and it's just much easier to have two syllables. Everybody knows what they're saying, and it's just easier. Yeah. Well, welcome, Claire House. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, Today, we're going to see what Claire's been up to since the mid-aughts when we knew each other on various dance floors, I would say, mostly. (laughs) It was kind of, what was it? It was like Lee's Palace and Sneaky D's and being a bit of, you know, band groupies. That's what I remember. Yep. Um, Yep, me too. Pretending that I was going to have a band and then never really doing it. And, you know. I'm still going to have a band. Go for it. Is it going to (laughs) be tambourine ukulele ukulele definitely (laughs) Uh, so we're gonna see what you've been up to and from what i understand you've been up to some cool stuff Um, art comedy acting writing nomadism oh my god it's been a long haul man (laughs) also you're very funny and smart so (laughs) i'm (laughs) again no pressure I knew this was a premium podcast, Melody. (laughs) I refuse to go on a podcast unless it starts with compliments. (laughs) You're very good looking. You're tall, right? (laughs) I am tall. I'm not as tall as you. I'm 5'10". But close. people do treat you like a hulking piece of human. So maybe we have that in common. Do they treat you like a hulking piece? I I feel like I have the body of a retired professional discus thrower. retired not active (laughs) well this is it it's like because it's it's you got the size i've got the bulk but it's not it's not in working order (laughs) (laughs) so we're going to talk about discus throwing today (laughs) yeah 
You want to plant and then force it forward. That applies to most things in life, I think. That's that's more shot put, isn't it? I guess discus is where you do the real spin. Oh, that's it's right. Not, it's not an attractive sport. Well, unless you're doing it. Unless I'm doing it. It's, <laughs> it's doesn't seem, It seems like more of like, I don't know, therapy for a Neanderthal. <laughs> like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I have been doing the wrong kind of therapy. So... We're going to talk mostly about comedy, though, I think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. This is, after all, a comedy podcast. Uh, so. I'm, I'm in stitches already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's sarcastic, but <laughs> let's get funny. <laughs> Hilarious. Before we get to that, Claire, we have a couple yeah. um, segments that we do on the show. First yeah. of all, how was your week? Do you have any week peaks or pandemic peaks since we're... Most people are just meeting you. Uh, week peak. I mean, realistically, in the pandemic, it's mostly about making making online shopping baskets that you never check out. For me, oh yeah, you know what I mean? like it's that capitalist magical thinking where you're where you're like, if I just get this, if I just get this velvet pillow, my life's gonna be fine. You know, so I've, I just make a lot of baskets. If I'm feeling crazy, I'll I'll sort the price from high to low just to see how it feels. <laughs> It's like retail vision boarding. I love it. I was talking to a friend the other day about this, actually, just going, I feel like the when I get to the end of my life, the most exciting thing will have been just some afternoon where you're standing in a pastry shop selecting a donut. And it's before you've eaten the donut. Oh, and you're yeah. just, you know what I mean? Like, look at the mm-hmm. coke. It's that imagining, it's that low risk imagination of consumption. Yep. Oh, I love it. I don't think that, I love it. that's not a weak peak. I made a pretty good smoothie. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of smoothie? Do you put like wheat germ and shit in there? Raw eggs? I put, oh, I, I put <laughs> flaxseed is a new one for me. Mm-hmm, I put a mm-hmm. mango. I have hilarious. I think it's so funny that I, with my body, I go downstairs in the morning and put something called bulk powder into my drink. <laughs> <laughs> As if I need any help with bulk, but <laughs> we've already established you're a huge <laughs> hunk of woman. <laughs> She's huge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was so ripped last summer and yeah? it all went downhill. I was living with a magician. <laughs> what? Every great story begins that way. <laughs> yeah. I was living in the house. I was living in this house in Wimbledon which is sort of a she-she part of London. And it's not possible. People, I feel like, from Canada look at me as a as a person in my 30s living in shared accommodation in London. They go, why are you living? They just think that by this point, you should be living by yourself. But in London, it's really not possible. You'll find two or three lawyers living together, that kind of thing. Right. So uh, anyway, I was living in a house that belonged to a, to a magician, and that's when the pandemic hit and we got locked down. I got locked down. I got locked down with a West End dancer, a magician and me. It was like a sitcom. <laughs> and the, the best friend, the, the best friend of the magician was a ventriloquist. What? <laughs> so yeah. did, did the magician use this time to practice new, uh, what do you even call them? Are they tricks? She practiced new... Uh, paranoia techniques. No, I mean, it, it, no. <laughs> paranoia. <laughs> I'm 
knew Fahrenheit. I mean, everybody went bananas, right? Because like, yeah. all, especially performers, because you're so used to being out every night. You're so, in her case, she's so used to being like on cruise ships and out doing things constantly. And so when you get locked down as a as a performer and you don't have your audience clapping for you every five minutes you tend to lose your mind uh, <laughs> yeah i believe it <laughs> anyway did she literally uh, saw you in half and you live to tell the she tale have like illusions i never poked because you're not supposed to ask magicians for the secrets right like of they're course. not they're not going to give you the secrets right but i could see we would sometimes watch magic together on tv and you could see her like knowing what was happening i'd be like i just want to know what she knows but i can't ask <laughs> Wow. Um, but there so were even, interesting things around the house, like giant uh, playing cards and hats and rabbits and, you know. Actual rabbits? Yeah, I mean, stuffed rabbits. And there were, there were loads of stuff. She, it was kind of like living with Liza Minnelli. She's great. <laughs> <laughs> She's were there awesome. like sliding bookcases and like magic passageways, anything like that? Um, were there? No, there were no magic passageways except... <laughs> The magic passageway to her heart, perhaps? Exactly. I was going to make a joke like that, a pandemic joke. But um, no, there were some books and DVDs and stuff, but I knew that I shouldn't touch it. Right. It, I think like, the magical passageway to her heart probably just is human touch <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> just touch me. <laughs> Isn't that everybody's magical have passageway? Ever, have you ever been to um, the Magic Castle in Los Angeles? No. So cool. You have to, it's like invite only. But my, I was making such a fuss about it for years that I wanted to go. And my brother, who's a, a genius, managed to figure out a way where if you stay in a certain hotel where the magicians stay, you can get into the Magic Castle without being a member of the Magic Castle. And so oh. when I was 27, he took me there and we got to go in the Magic Castle. And it was just like, it's still one of the best nights I've ever had. Get all dressed up in sequins. It's all these old Hollywood women with long fingernails and like their face pinned behind their ears. And, uh, and it's just different rooms of people doing magic all night. And you just kind of r- roll into one room and then roll into another room and go in the close up room. And oh my God, it's amazing. It's Whoa. so cheesy, but it's fantastic. But what is the magic castle? Oh, it's kind of where magicians go to do magic for other magicians. Whoa. I think. I-, I would, I mean, I don't really know, but that's what it, that's my, what I gather. So it's pretty elite. Wow. I remember seeing a man just just firing do- firing doves out of his sleeves. What? Pew pew pew. It was so funny because you think okay, this man he can have maybe like 10 doves in hidden places, but he just was firing them like Spider-Man like whoo, whoo, whoo. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it was amazing. It live was really- doves. Live doves. And they were they would just fly out and I just couldn't understand how he kept firing these doves out. And his sleeve didn't look like lumpy? No. Wow. Maybe he didn't have an arm on that side and that's how he fit them all in there. Honey, it was both arms. What? <laughs> he would fire one from one side and the other side. It was like it was like something from the Avengers. <laughs> that is shocking. I want to nope. go to the magic magic castle. Did magic you say? Castle. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Okay. Fantastic. After the show, I'm going to find out the name of that hotel. This isn't really about comedy, is it? I don't know. 
I am here for it, as the young people say. <laughs> oh my God, the young people. Have you heard having a side part isn't cool anymore? What? Gen Z has it in for us because we have side parts and Is skinny the- jeans. I think it's so hilarious. Are we not allowed to love skinny jeans anymore either? No, you need to have mom jeans, which 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 really fucks me off. Pardon my language, because with the body of a professional discus thrower, how long do you think it takes to find skinny jeans that fit? It it has taken me the entire ten years that they've been in fashion to yep. find a pair that fit. Yeah, and I've that- recently found a great source as well. Where? Long Tall Sally. It's like the tall girl store. Is they- there? A- wide sally (laughs) (laughs) long tall and wide sally (laughs) Uh, i think i'm overstating the size of my ass but that's fine how big exactly is your ass (laughs) if you could if you could quantify it in number of doves wide (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a dove came out every time you farted (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) um <laughs> my ass is large enough for Zara to call me an XXXXXXL and small enough that if I say that I can't fit in anything, people go, shut up. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you my week peak, which is just that the sun is shining and spring is coming. And we had a couple of really warm days. Are you guys imperial or metric over there? Uh, we're metric. So it was up to like 13 degrees here the other day. Shut so up. my yeah, We're so here. my bucket is full. My bucket is full of melted snow. <laughs> Claire, you're a Canadian living in London as we established. Sure. So I'm sure you remember Canadians love to talk about the weather. So do, so, so do, so do English people. Yeah. So what's the winter like there? It's gray and it's I actually I can't decide which I like better because there's some comfort in having that packed snow feeling where it's like minus 10 and you can just go out and it, you, but you feel sort of held mm-hmm. here. It's always zero minus one little bit of sleet gray gets in your skin. And also I've never been colder anywhere than here. I lived in Thunder Bay where in it for three months, it never went above minus 25. And right. I've never been colder than I am in this country because they don't do insulation. They don't do anything properly. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> everything was built in like 1690. I know. They're like committed to discomfort. They really yeah. are. Yeah. But, you know, I like it. It's, it's a bit of a trade-off, right? Because you can be outside more, maybe. You can. Yeah, you definitely can. You don't feel like you've been abused in the same way at the end of the Canadian winter. Right. You really feel like you've been through something. And I, like, my body expands and contracts with the seasons. So oh. the shorter the winter, the better. <laughs> so you're not expanding in the summer like a like a fine piece of wood? No, I'm like, I'm ripe. I'm only ripe in August. <laughs> like, I'm like a cabbage. <laughs> and I have one part of the year when I'm like out and about you can make a stir fry with me and then the rest of the year I'm just gr- a lump in the dirt angry <laughs> <laughs> bitter <laughs> bitter cabbage <laughs> uh, okay well I feel like we're really breaking some ice already but before we dig in uh, I'm not sure if you've heard the podcast but we always do a little segment called icebreakers yep I sent you the audio uh, we have a catchy little song. Roll up your sleeves, pull up your socks, reach on into Melody's box. Icebreakers. 
if you could kindly reach through Skype and deep into my box and pull a question out. Okay. What breakfast cereal best represents your personal <clears throat> philosophy? Philosophy? <laughs> The, my favorite breakfast cereal, to get it out of the way, and I'm not allowed to have it in the house because I will eat the entire thing in a day, is mm-hmm. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, it's so good. It, and like, I just, it's, and it also, it hits those like synapses firing of childhood where it's like, oh, it's like that Ratatouille moment at the end where the guy's like, oh, my childhood. <laughs> I, I love that. There, um, and it's so good dry because it has that like powder oh, on it. I know. I was yeah. disgusted. As a kid, I used to like take one of those and then put butter on it and eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And you wonder. Um, Tiny little sandwiches. Personal philosophy would, I mean, to be 100% honest, I pictured pouring granola into the side of the street. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. The first image that I had was someone dumping granola in a in what do you call it like the grate in the side of the street like where 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 that it clown lives like Ugh. like into the sewer drain <laughs> yeah yeah that's 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 my breakfast cereal as a philosophy of life like everything every healthy thing you wanted down the drain honey that's, my, that's not really a philosophy that's just a belief. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Scientific proof. What's yours? Oh, God. Philosophy. Okay. Uh, lately, I've been really into like choosing to be happy. It's a new yeah. thing I'm trying oh, on. Very um, good. Yeah, it's like really healthy and stuff. But honestly, I think I have to go with granola, except I'm probably eating it. I have to also go with granola because it's like, it's got the fiber. It's like maybe slow roasted or whatever. It tastes really good, but it's not like the worst for you. Yeah. Yeah. Icebreakers. So were you like a funny kid? Were you a class clown? No. Oh my God. I was an absolutely, I think the thing that connects most of the standups and comics that I know that are any good is that they're outsiders. 100% 100% outsiders. Sometimes they're the class clown, but more often than not, they are the loser, the outsider. <laughs> um, but it was like, uh, laughs were at a high premium in my house. So like, I think that was, you know, you get motivated. I remember in grade six, there was a school play and I was, I had been pegged to be the sort of Swedish chef Muppets character. Like clearly I was the comic relief in this play. And yeah. half through the production of this grade six play the teacher who was directing it got fired for chucking chalk at children's heads <laughs> which like at the time felt pretty dramatic but now you go man if i were in a room with 10 10 year olds i think a chair would be uh, chalk would be like the least of the things i would chuck at them but anyway oh, yeah. she got fired this play got canceled and i remember at whatever age that was being gutted that i wasn't going to get my laughs yeah, no kidding. I was never going to be cast as the princess, you know. I was I was the Swedish chef all around. I, I was a I was a weird uh, kid in high school. I went to a very 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 small school. It was two hundred kids from kindergarten to OAC, which existed at the time. Where was and this? This was outside Guelph, 
And uh, it was a good school, but I all I ever wanted to do was go to the performing arts school, and I never got to go. But anyway, I would go up and down the hallway, uh, sort of in a uh, hunchback of Notre Dame sort of style. <laughs> <laughs> And chase and scare the few girls that were friends with me. Um, and that was the closest I got to being the class class. <laughs> you were the class hunchback. Exactly. <laughs> the class, stay away from her. She's got mental issues. But look at you now. Look at me now. Living it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Claire, you're very smart and funny. How did you get so smart and funny? How did you do it? premium podcast compliments yes uh, yes uh, 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 oh, well you, so you were saying that you were kind of like a bit of an oddball i think being an outsider is like kind of a unfortunately for all the popular kids it does it is this like dna strand thing that you need to be able to for whatever reason with some some comics kind of like grow up and you'll hear them talk about their childhood and they felt a distance from whatever classroom they were in or whatever because they felt like it was stupid and they were better than it and then other ones felt like they wanted to be involved but weren't allowed but generally there's like a a pretty consistent thing where people have an outsider perspective when i was a kid my family moved around a lot so from Mm. the age of six we would go away for a year to and like live in Europe and I would like go to a foreign school where everyone was making fun of me for a year for not speaking French or whatever and then I would go back to Canada and so it was like I think as strange as that is at the time it gives you that distance from everywhere that you are that you kind of need to look Mm -hmm. at things and go what's wrong here what's weird here and that's something that maybe is good also never succeeding is great there's there's being an outsider as a kid and that maybe like lays the groundwork but there's nothing better than never achieving your dreams (laughs) 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 like never getting your own way things never being easy like you want to be hilarious lose every game you play (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) because that's kind of the job (laughs) yeah i mean that's a lot of material and actually, I mean, that ties into, we talked, we did a podcast on comedy a while back with Jared McKay, who like dapples in stand up. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he would call himself a comedian mm-hmm. either. He doesn't like to do it professionally. But uh, we talked a bit about mental health struggles being a huge thing in comedy. And that <laughs> all that all makes sense that all. Yeah, I mean, I think wellness culture self-care culture it's kind of at odds with being a good comic you need to be a bit frustrated all the time and (laughs) in my case angry and curmudgeonly most of the day (laughs) you need to be dumping your granola into the sewer grate yeah yeah Yeah. i mean uh, yeah positive thinking does not help you in the world of comedy (laughs) it's really uplifting i love it yeah but it's like the world is full of material because it's so absurd. Okay, so how did you end up in comedy? Well, it's a long and circuitous story because I uh, I never had the confidence to do anything. The idea of doing stand up when I was a kid was, I mean, like so many people told me along the way, like you should try this, you should try this. But the fear of doing it uh, always prevented me from doing it. So 
always was doing comedy. When I was about 15, I got chosen to be part of this Second City pilot project in Toronto, where they took like six or eight of the sort of promising young improvisers, and they did this thing where they shoved them into the adult program. They put us in the adult program. And I remember that being like, oh my God, I found my home. All I want to do, I remember writing in a journal, if all I could do for the rest of my life was character-based narrative improv, I'd be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, "Mm, you can't do that. But um, it's been only in the last three years have I gone, okay, maybe I should make a career out of this because it's bothering me too much not to. Right. But I worked in sketch. I did improv pretty consistently, but I never did stand up until about uh, two and a half years ago. And so were you doing improv like with a group at a theater? How does that work? How do you, how does one just like do improv? Yeah, I mean, you always start with a course, usually, if you find people in the course that you click with, because there is kind of a psychic element to that stuff once you get going. And it's really, it's really fun. It's very much a muscle that like, you know, you can't expect to run a marathon when you first go. But if you carry on training, you get really good at it. And it's very, very satisfying to do the longer form ones. We got some great training. We had the some of the founders of UCB come up and like people from the I, the Improv Olympic in Chicago and stuff. I would do courses, definitely, and then find people you like in those courses and maybe see if you can do a show with them. And UCB, Nicole Byer talks about it all the time on her podcast. What's UCB, though? Upright Citizens Brigade. Oh, see, I didn't even know that's what it stood for. It's um, it's Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, Amy Poehler, and um, one other man who I've met, and I can't remember his name, which is very bad, but he's very hilarious. And they kind of came up with a sort of system. I think they developed the ASCAT, which is like a form of improv. And they're all about the game of the scene, which is like essentially like finding what the funny pattern of the scene is as quickly as possible and then raising the stakes on that until it finishes. I'm speaking kind of about territory that I don't really remember at this point because I haven't done it in years and years. But is it like, do they offer courses or is it like a comedy troupe kind of thing? What is UCB? What is it? (laughs) <laughs> they have courses in, uh, I mean, they came up and just visited us in, in Toronto. Okay. Um, but you can take, I think, I'm not sure if they have a place in Toronto. If you're in Toronto, I would just say probably Second City or or there's a bunch of places there. I think Bad Dog does it. And I can't remember because it's been like 15 years since I lived in Toronto. But I think they have places in LA and at least New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, you can find out Upright Citizens Brigade. Cool. They were cool. Then sketch comedy is different from improv. How? Sketch comedy is making funny scenes that you've written beforehand instead of <sighs> making the spot. Okay. And then again, there's just sort of various rules that you can, or, or tools that you can play with, like raising the stakes, thinking about status, uh, thinking about exaggeration, thinking about what the game or the pattern of your scene is to raise it to the maximum, seeing if you can get some unexpected, misdirected laughs in there. I mean, sketch comedy is a great way to start for people who maybe want to work in sitcoms or TV or something like that. Mm. I don't know. I don't think I've really mastered that form. I, I work best on my own still, but it's right. uh, it's fun. And so you've done stand-up over the last few years. Yeah. 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 How did you get into that? How did you start doing that? Did you just, uh, did you go to some open mics or? 
No, I came to London. I had lived in Colombia for a couple of years and had sort of a essentially a minor meltdown. I think I was sort of waiting. <sighs> essentially, I was a creative person with no confidence. And I knew that I wanted to be funny and I knew that I wanted to do stuff, but I, I was just, it was as if I was waiting for someone to go, you, you're allowed to be funny, go. And no one's ever going to do that. Right. So uh, anyway, I had sort of a, a an epiphany at some point. It's like, no, I actually have to do these things myself. No one's going to come and find me. So moved to London, wasn't really sure what I was doing. Still stand up wasn't on the menu. And then somehow just in conversations with friends at the time, uh, it was like, well, maybe I should try this. I was doing monologue competitions in public and they were all kind of funny. And and then a friend of mine just booked me in an open mic without me knowing anything about it. And, <laughs> and, you had to, and then she was like, okay, better get your five minutes ready. And that first show went really well, luckily. And then, which I think is a useful thing for any aspiring stand-up, I decided that I was going to do 100 shows before I made a decision as to whether I was going to continue doing it or not. And then I got addicted to this. 100 shows. So how many are you doing like three shows a week? More, usually more. Yeah, you kind of want to be anywhere between two and six shows a week is a nice amount to be doing because it's like it's like working out like you have to go out every night. You don't have to. Some people are some people are really intense. Like you got to go three times a night or else it's not real. I don't buy that stuff. I think you can easily take some time off, but but doing it a couple of times a week would be the minimum. Yeah. Crazy. So you get into it, especially here. I don't know how it would be. Is it in in Toronto being in a career in comedy never felt possible, which I think is maybe why I didn't pursue it. It always felt like if you want to do it, you kind of got to go to LA or you got to go to New York, you got to find right. something. There's a lot of Canadian comedians over here who I think came for the same reason. It feels like there's kind of a ceiling. Maybe that's not true anymore, but at the time to me, and maybe it was my own issues, but I just felt like it wasn't possible. But here, the amount of stage time you can get you can be a racehorse in a year if you really put your mind to it because there's open mics every night. And if you, you have to do the legwork and you have to be good at admin, you can't just decide you're a creative person and go. But if you do it, you can put in the hours and that's what it takes to get good. Six nights a week. That's crazy. But you're going up and doing like five minutes or like 10 minutes or whatever, right? Like it's a pretty short Uh, window usually or... If you're a newbie, if you're starting as an open mic comic, it'll be five minutes. And then the better you get, the longer you do. Seven minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. 20 minutes is kind of the standard of what you would be doing in a club. Okay. And, then, and then I have a feeling that you kind of need to do your hour, your first hour at least, before anyone's going to take you seriously as a comic. And then when you say do an hour, are you talking about like a show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a recorded show whether it gets recorded or not isn't really up to you but edinburgh a lot of the year the comedy year here at least and like honestly anyone who's in i don't know how toronto is now but anyone who's in stand-up i would kind of recommend they come here maybe for a year and just see what happens just because you can get a better quicker but the year here under normal circumstances is defined around the edinburgh festival and people prepare and go up and do their hour and it does well or it doesn't do well or whatever so yeah the hour is kind of i can i mean i say i consider it haven't done one yet but i consider it kind of like your first hoop that you have to jump through as a professional comic because you have to do a good hour 
And so you'd have an hour of material, and then you would like tour that around and take that to different clubs and try it and tweak it and that kind of thing. Yeah. Again, not really up to you. You kind of make your hour and then see who wants to de- be dealing with it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And there's so, I don't know, it's it's really interesting. Like Fleabag, you know, the show Fleabag, that mm-hmm. started Edinburgh show. Um, That's a great show. Almost all the stand-up shows that you see on Netflix started as Edinburgh shows. I mean, not John Mulaney and people like that, but like Natalie Palomides, London Hughes, so many of them. Like Edinburgh is just a real breeding ground. It's crazy. It's really good. Cool. So, and you were on the show, was it a show? So you think you're funny? Is that a TV show? No, it's not a TV show. It's just a competition. And so it's like, it's, you have to be a new act. So you have to have done stand up for less than a year and you go into these, I think there's like sort of 500 comics and you go and you do heats uh, in London around the country. And then they pick a bunch to do a semifinal which is in Edinburgh. And then if you win your semifinal, you go to the grand final. And that's kind of a, it's a pretty big deal. It's like a really nice thing to have on your resume. It's got a really nice history of pretty amazing people making it to the final. And it's a big show and it's great. It's exciting. And you made it to the final, right? Yeah. 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 And it's funny because it's like, I was in Edinburgh doing a, a split bill with a couple of friends and I did my semifinal and this everybody everybody who had sort of older comics would come up and go oh yeah the semifinal is the best night of your life and the final is the worst night of your life because <laughs> <laughs> the semifinal i don't know it was just like a fantastic room everybody's into it it was really fun obviously i was excited because i won i went upstairs you have agents coming up to you going i think this is going to be a big thing take my card and then of course they never call you and uh, <laughs> and then a week later you do this final to a a kind of sort of more indifferent room with a lot of tension and it's just a it's just a more challenging experience when you do the final do they laugh do they all look serious are they all just like writing on their notepads and judging well it's a big audience and then the judges are just it's it's a regular audience it is and it isn't because like up in Edinburgh, you can see so many different exciting shows. So the people who turn up for the new act competition who pay 15 quid, uh, 15 pounds for a ticket, which is quite a lot. It's a certain audience. And, and the building was really hot. And uh, I don't know, they didn't seem that excited. <laughs> but maybe it was just me. <laughs> they might have just gone, we don't like you and your stupid jumpsuit. <laughs> So actually, I was going to ask you a bit about like rejection and bad shows because you hear comedians talk all the time about how about Mm -hmm. bombing, right? How Mm -hmm. do you deal with that? Are you good at just brushing it off and not getting sad? I would get very sad. (laughs) You kind of have to get a thick skin about it. Like, but essentially, if anyone wants to be a comedian, you just have to be you have to get used to being embarrassed all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And being like, can my failure be seen from space? Because I think it can. Um, so there's there's terrible shows, and you don't know what you're walking into as a as a um, new comic or anywhere up to like semi professional, which is what I'm edging into. Definitely not a professional. Semi pro. Yeah, something like that. You um <laughs> you don't know what you're gonna get when you walk in. I've walked into. A show where it's six guys with ZZ Top beards and they don't want to hear anything you have to say. And, 
I walked into a room of 300 people and they're up for it. I remember being at a show early on and things had been going well for me. And I went into this basement and it was eight open mic male comics and the entire show was just them making jokes about edging oh god (laughs) like back and forth and one would get up and then the mc would get up and make a joke about edging and then someone else would get up and and i went on stage and i just said the first thing that came to my head which was i've never had more of a uterus than i have right now (laughs) (laughs) and they just hated me as soon as i said that and i did (laughs) seven minutes to absolute silence oh no (laughs) but you do you just have like i i have things where when I wake up in the morning, I can be power embarrassed for about 15 minutes if I think about certain things that have happened. <laughs> like through audiences where they just go, no, we we do not like you. <laughs> Whatever you've been working on. And it, the thing is, like, it's weird because you can do the same material in the same room. Like last March, I remember doing the same material in the same room twice in one week and the first night it killed so hard that i had people messaging me for like a week and the thursday i did it to silence and it's like you you kind of some there's some mystery to it and you Hmm. just you develop a little bit of a skin where you're like yeah it's not the end of the world right right yeah i guess and you'd have to have a pretty strong sense of self i would think so you don't just fall apart you also need to hate yourself (laughs) right comedians all hate themselves it's a thing you just have to be it's just like you have to be self-critical enough to improve you have to listen to the audience because there's there's comics and you can see them go up and they'll think whatever they've done is amazing no matter what the audience reaction is or they'll get angry at the audience for not responding to them and it's like no no no. this is a this is a collaborative thing you think this is a one-man show it's not you are in a room with people and it's right there's energy going back and forth and sometimes you don't decide how you're funny you have to let them tell you how you're funny so you need to be able to sit there and listen to your set and go you know what i love this joke but nobody else does so i'm gonna cut it (laughs) (laughs) so sad though (laughs) cutting your little joke baby so sad i had a joke about like i thought it was so funny or just a line that was like being in the ritz hotel and you see so many old silver-haired people that to me, it looks like a a, a yacht race. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not the wording, but like the image of that was so funny to me. And it just never, ever, no one ever found it funny. And so I had to cut it out. Oh, have you seen? Okay, so in the scene, you've been doing this for well, for really a long time. We've been doing stand up for a few years, but you've been in the scene for many, many years. Have you seen changes in the scene and coming into the pandemic too? Obviously, there have been huge changes. The scene. The scene. What are comics doing <laughs> in a pandemic where you can't perform? They're What's doing happening? a lot of Zoom shows. Zoom shows. They're doing, it, which I just did my first one this weekend because I was so anti doing it. I just felt like this is not the same thing. And this feels desperate. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how I felt. And in April of last year, it was like these people who are rushing instantly online. It's like there's a bigger issue happening. And maybe we should do that before we try and do the same jokes on Zoom. But it's a it's a new way of doing things. And I need to pick up with the times and get on there and do it as well. So people have been doing Zoom shows. People have been trying to transition to video, 
which I felt lucky that I was doing it before anyway. And what else? We had outdoor gigs last summer a little bit, which is challenging. And what else? I think people are trying to write. Some people have definitely dropped out of the game. Like they're, they've, they've disappeared, which is a shame. And definitely comics who were making their entire living off it. Uh, I mean, before all this happened, I was like really eager to be making my living off it as soon as possible. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, I was really thankful that I had a freelance job as well because all the professional comics that I knew were instantly struggling. Anyway, what has changed? I'd be really interested to see what happens after the pandemic in terms of content because mm. it's for the past couple of years, at least stand up has been very focused on the kind of confessional type of comedy where like you can almost like look at your watch and go, okay, at the 40 minute mark, we're going to have a revelation about this person's mother dying or something, something dark is going to come. Right. So that's been kind of a, something that's been doing really well and it's cool. It's great. But also I'd be interested to see what happens after that. Cause I feel like people might want a bit more levity, like obviously Hannah Gadsby, Nanette, that whole thing was a big cultural moment, but yeah, I'll be interested to see what the next wave is. I love all those, like, there's there's kind of an, I think it's in L.A., maybe it's a New York group of comics. Do you know Cola Scola? No. Like, Cola Scola, Joe Firestone, they did a new version of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. Okay. And they do online videos and stuff, and Joe Firestone, I think she writes for Jimmy Fallon. And um, anyway, the American sort of, there seems to be an American new wave of comedy that's a bit surreal and sort of possibly queer informed. And it's really cool. Nice. So you mentioned that you've been, you were doing video all along. I Hmm. follow you on Instagram. My God, thank you so much. You're so welcome. I love your videos. They're very, very funny. So you do like different characters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it, is it mostly on Instagram or are there other outlets? Do you do TikTok? Uh, I opened it to get my inbox on Instagram is very much, and this ties into having a thick skin. My inbox on Instagram is full of underhanded compliments of people being like, Why aren't you famous? Why do you bother putting things on here when you get 12 views? (laughs) Oh, that's not very nice. That's not a nice thing to say. (laughs) You should be on TikTok because this, and I think you're this, and blah, blah, blah. And they're all all trying to be really nice, but it's also just like, Yeah, I, and Anyway, yes, I have an, a TikTok account, but I don't maybe, I kind of don't buy TikTok as a great place for comedy. I think the algorithm doesn't necessarily put forward quality comedy content, but I am on there. I'm on mm-hmm. YouTube. I am on Twitter, but Instagram is the place where people seem to connect so far. You have different characters you do. Are they like recurring characters? Yeah, uh, it depends. If people fall out of, if it seems like people aren't responding to a certain character, I might kick it in the can. I try not to do the same character for at least three months and uh, and sometimes up to a year. So there, there are a few of them. There's there's like a, a, a divorcee from New Jersey who wears a, a lavender wig and has a pretty high libido and some anger management issues. <laughs> There's a German artist who's pretty directly informed by my my master's degree that I did in Germany. And uh, she mostly works with found art objects and gets upset at the fact that unicorns seem to be invading commercial culture. And then like an American therapist who always seems to get interrupted in the middle of doing water sports by a friend. <laughs> 
And then there's Satan's receptionist, who's very upbeat about all the horrible things that her boss is doing. And then there's a 1940s dame who's quite brassy and makes complaints to customer service reps on the phone. And uh, anyway, there's loads. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while we're talking about it, what is your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is at Claire underscore house, H-A-U-S. The German spelling. The German spelling. You are in the house. That's the great thing is if I ever do make an entire show, there's so many title options. Oh my goodness. There sure is. House on fire. Yeah. Don't give too many away here. White house down. (laughs) (laughs) And so you did your master's in Germany. Was it, did you, was it in German? In English? Were you allowed to speak English? It was an English international master's and it was uh, at the Bauhaus. What? Yeah. Well, there are two Bauhauses. This was the Weimar one. So I guess they like the original one. Then there's one in Dessau. Yeah, it was a very, very alternative experiment. It's exactly what you would imagine kind of a Bauhaus masters to be. We were separate from the rest of the school. We had a studio. It was very international. People from all over the world, highly experimental. It was run by like, Dracula style southeastern Europeans who would just encourage you to do anything go I you want you want to stand on a plinth in the middle of town naked with a platter on your head do it <laughs> <laughs> so um it was great it was great I think at that time because my confidence was so low I just needed someone to tell me to make art like yeah we want you to do something. We're waiting for you to do something. You don't need to justify it. Just do something. And so were uh, you doing like more performance-based stuff? Well, before then, I had done sort of humorous drawings. That was my thing. I was a kind of an illustrator for a few years. Had a book put out that was sort of like graphic art and then funny lines or sort of non sequiturs underneath. What hey. is it called? The book was called yeah. The Blaring House. But H-O-U-S-E, which was at the time I was trying to get people to know how to say my name because people, Saringhouse, nobody knew how to pronounce it. And so I'd be like, it rhymes with Blaringhouse. And uh, it was with Conundrum Press, which is a lovely little company in Canada. And so that was what I loved doing that for a while. But um, but the book was so much work and it kind of didn't do anything. And so I was living in Halifax at the time and I just wanted Halifax is a wonderful Petri dish for creative people where you're so supported and everyone's so lovely, but at a certain point, you just feel like you maybe you should go outside the Petri dish and get better somewhere else. So anyway, I went mm-hmm. a, as, an, as an illustrator, and then over the course of the program, I kind of discovered that I wanted to do sound art. Oh. Uh, so I ended up doing kind of funny sound installations using my voice. <laughs> And I was told upon, like, when I did my graduation thesis, I remember one of the final comments. I did well, and they were happy with it and everything, but they were like, this is really good. It was also very funny. And we think maybe you want to do something with humor in the future. (laughs) So essentially, the German art world was like, you're too funny for us. Go away. (laughs) That's great. Which sounds nice in hindsight, but at the time was like, oh. Art can be funny. It's okay to be funny. I did a, I remember doing a, a, an installation that was like, I ma- I created a whole yoga room, like a dark yoga room with those, what are those lights called that you like, they look like they're water, blah, 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 you know, those, you have like, like in a kid's room, they're like projector lights right. and they make 
they make everything look a bit, you know, I put yes, one of those, yeah. I put music, I put like b- a bunch of um, yoga mats down. And then I had my voice uh, playing in this room and just reading the Michelin star menus of German restaurants with the prices. <laughs> So that people would get like, they'd come into a relaxing yoga studio and they'd lie down to meditate and then it would just be like stressfully high prices. (laughs) (laughs) Relax. A lovely fish fillet, 49 euros. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) Were you telling people to relax? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, breathe in. Five, four, three. Chocolate fondant, two. (laughs) (laughs) so silly i was gonna ask you what some of your favorite comedians as a kid were versus now Mm. the first joke that i remember that i loved so much that i remembered it and told it to people was do you remember the mitch hedberg joke about the dufranes no i'll tell i'll tell i'm probably gonna butcher it but i'll tell it it's short okay (laughs) He's he's like, you know when you go, you know when you go into a restaurant and they're calling out the names of the parties that people are going to eat. And they're like, Dufresne, party of two. Dufresne, party of two. And then if the Dufresnes don't answer, they go on to the next name. Bush, party of three. Yeah. But what happened to the Dufresnes? (laughs) They are missing. No one seems to care. (laughs) Who can eat at a time like this? People are missing. You people are selfish. The Dufresnes are in someone's trunk right now with duct tape over their mouth. And they're hungry. That's a triple whammy. Bush, search party of three. You can eat when you find the Dufresnes. (laughs) (laughs) And it still makes me laugh so much. That was the first one. I remember, like, loving... Kids in the Hall. I was obsessed with Kids in the Hall. Very young. So good. Went went to see them live when I was like seven years old. Got all dressed up. And it was very exciting. And then I remember Scott Thompson seeing me in the queue to get an autograph. And just being like, what the fuck is this seven year old? (laughs) (laughs) I think I was talking about anal probes. And like... (laughs) And he ushered me to the front and like I got autographs from him and I got one from Mark McKinney. And anyway, I loved them. And Waiting for Guffman, I remember just being like so obsessed with Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. Um, your so question good. was, as compared to now, uh, a lot of the people I still like, obviously I've come, I, I used to not like anyone who sounded angry. And mm-hmm. now I love, I love people like Bill Burr's amazing. Chris Rock's amazing. Richard Pryor's amazing. I like people like, let's see. God, there's so many people. Julio Torres is very funny. Naomi Ekparrigan, Bo Burnham, David O'Doherty, Tim Key. I don't know. There's there's so many. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to say. I only know a couple of those names. Okay. But are they all angry? Is, okay. are, is this like there's an no, ang- no, they're, they're not all angry oh, do, you like <laughs> do you like sebastian maniscalco do you know who he is no a good entry point for him is his company bit that, that he talks about like in the old days versus now people having company over you would say that you were going to have company and that was a good thing and there was like cake that was set aside for company and your mother would be like don't touch the cake it's for when the company comes and now 
if anyone bangs on your door or comes near your house, you're like hiding, you close the curtains, you don't want anything to do with anyone, you're getting the sword out from under the sofa. All right, your own mother's crawling across the kitchen floor. Get down my army crawl! Army crawl, get in the closet. Go get the sword in the living room. Somebody get the sword underneath the couch in the living room. There's a sword. Right? You have to turn and ask your family, you invite anybody over? You invite anybody over. Sebastian, uh, what's the last name? Sebastian Meniscalco. Meniscalco. Super physical. Very, very, very funny dude. And then I guess just like growing up and, and realizing the more dimensions to the things you knew were funny when you were a kid. There was a lot of like British humor in my house when I was a kid because of my mom. So there was a lot of like French and Saunders, Monty Python, Alan Partridge, all that kind of stuff was Mm -hmm. in the background. And then you grow up and you're like, oh yeah, here's, here's more reasons why that's funny. I don't know. Larry David. I could just do a list for about three hours. So (laughs) (laughs) the clock is starting now. (laughs) Always SNL as well. I used to stay up and watch Saturday Night Live and my mom would have gone to bed and I would write out the deep thoughts. Do you remember Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? Jack Handy, yep. So good. Do you remember, were were you like um, Phil Hartman age? Phil Hartman? Yeah. Remember Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer? Yes. (laughs) I hadn't (laughs) thought of it until literally right now. (laughs) Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Sketches ever. I also remember the weekend that the first digital short happened, and I remember being like, "What?" Because I'd watched the show for so long, just being like, "What is this?" And then you could you could just feel that something new was happening. It was just cool. The anyway. year was nineteen ninety nine. I know. <laughs> I don't know what year it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, how did you feel about Tim Allen? <laughs> Tim Allen. In- <laughs> Huh? <laughs> you mean like back in the day? I like in the nineties, yeah. I didn't I really thought, like him. I didn't. You connect. didn't? Oh man! When I was a kid, I thought he was the funniest shit ever. <laughs> I think people really liked him. That's cool. That's fair. That's good. Well, you know, now I'm like, he's a pig. <laughs> like what? There were so many good Jack Handy ones that I can't remember. There was one that was like, if you ever drop your keys into a river of lava. Let him go, because, man, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. There were so many good ones. I also, oh. as a kid, loved uh, Steve Martin. I had a VHS tape of the best of Steve Martin on SNL. Oh, 100%. Man, that guy's so funny and charming and great. I just want to spend my life with him, platonically. Oh, I, I know. And Very. he could play me lullabies on the banjo. Very talented banjo player as well. He is. Steve Martin still then and now so you don't really watch stand-up that much no I don't I listen to a lot of podcasts so yeah you know if we talk about like comic podcasters yeah I would know a lot of those names I'm really into comedy bang bang I Mm kind of go in and out of it but I'm back on cool (laughs) if you ever listened to um professor blastoff back in the day 
No. It was Tig Taro, Kyle Dunnigan, and the third guy's name. I can't remember, which is really bad, but it, it was just like a really nice... It was in the early days of podcasts, and it was one of the first sort of chatty comedy podcasts, and they really worked. And uh, and then when Tig got super famous, I think it got canned. But... Um, that was really good. So you like Bang Bang. What else? I do. I listen to My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is another one that's been on for like 20 years or something crazy. Mm-hmm. How Did This Get Made is always funny. I don't know. I listen to so many podcasts. Lately, I've been on a real like self-help train. Like I said, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to be happy. So I have to listen to so many podcasts about it. <laughs> um, that makes me think also in the framework of comedy have you ever seen melinda and melinda the woody allen movie no essentially it starts in a cafe or a a restaurant and there's this group of people talking about there's two uh theater producers i think or or writers and they're talking about the same set of circumstances but one's a tragic writer and one's a comedy writer and you then get to watch the story play out in both ways so it's the same things happening but one's a comedy and one's a tragedy and it flips back and forth and it's just like i think it's poignant in a way because you can do that with your own life everything's kind of tragic or comedic and you can kind of stride based on your perspective we're all writing our own stories do you do wim hof no do you know do you know what it is no wim hof The Wim Hof breathing technique, Wim Hof. Wim, he's like this Scandinavian dude who um, his wife uh, very tragically jumped off a building due to depression when he was young and the, he was left with three children and kind of had a breakdown. And uh, As one does. As, as one does. And then he got into meditation and cold exposure. Oh, uh, he was on that Goop show, right? Did you watch the Goop uh, <laughs> Netflix show? Possibly, possibly. I'm sure it was the same guy. Sounds about right. Anyway, he has a breathing technique that's like, essentially you hyperventilate for like 30 seconds and then you hold your breath for a really long time. And I find that as banal as it sounds can change my mood for the day if I do that. Interesting. And I bet it's pretty funny to watch. Yeah. (laughs) Just bring it back to the comedy tip. (laughs) Everything's pathetic, isn't it? Like, if (laughs) if I catch myself in the mirror doing my exercises, I will just, it just makes you want to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) You can feel like you're being so powerful. Like, oh, I'm going to fucking nail this plank. And then then you see yourself and you just look like a a shaking whale. (laughs) (laughs) I hate planking so much. It's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god uh listen what are you listening to or reading watching whatever um are you consuming have, anything good I, i'm listening to an audiobook on audible that's called centuries of change by ian mortimer and it's so it, it it's like a, it's a review of all the centuries from 1000 to now and goes through all the changes that happened in each one of those centuries. And it I just find it really relaxing because this man will be like, and in the cruel winter, the villagers were forced to eat their horses and each other. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and it fills me with calm because it's like, oh yeah, it's not that bad right now. Like we don't have to eat each other outside Prague, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Centuries of Change is really good. I'm also listening to the Sarah Silverman podcast. I think she's being really smart about a lot of things right now. So that I'm enjoying. And nice. watching what? Documentary Now. Did you watch that? 
No. It's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen um, oh, doing takeoff. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say they're both very funny. Oh, my God. I love them. And it's like, if it's especially good if you have watched a lot of documentaries. So they do a take. Each episode is a takeoff or a parody of an existing documentary. So they <gasps> The Great Gardens, The Thin Blue Line. And if you've seen the documentaries, the episodes are so funny. The Thin Blue Line one, I couldn't even laugh. I, it was so funny. <laughs> so I recommend that. That's good. I truly cannot wait to check oh, it out. Also been watching, I don't know if you watch Dogs Pressing Buttons. No. Being like That's not a name of a show. That's the physical thing of like, there's there's a whole subsection of the internet of dogs communicating with their owners via communication buttons. <laughs> there's one called there's one called Bunny. There's one called oh god, the the account on Instagram is called Hunger for Words, I think. And it's like this this linguist came up with a series of buttons that the dog can learn. So they start with a button that says outside and then that's how they learn, okay, if I press this button I can go outside. And then they extend it to have like mom, love you, ball, settle down, da da la and and these dogs are communicating in kind of like, you know, grammar full human grammar sometimes <laughs> and uh, and i like watching those videos yeah that sounds great are they using their paws or their noses just a little technical detail <laughs> they're using their they're using their paws okay like, let me tell you if you're if you've got insomnia you're up at 2 a.m and you just see a little pupper go up to a button and say mom love you it, it'll warm, <laughs> it'll warm the cockles <laughs> my cockles are very warm just thinking about it <laughs> oh ball but you do you do see the limitations of what they're thinking about it's like ball ball outside outside ball ball outside <laughs> <laughs> that's anyway, amazing that's what are you watching oh man i have watched a couple of great things on netflix lately i mean man okay like i'm getting right into watching tv <laughs> So my husband and I separated. So I'm living on my own. I have my kids half the time. There's like a lot of TV time available now that wasn't available before. Mm-hmm. Also, ukulele playing time. I should have said that as my uh, week peak. Actually, I got a ukulele and I'm going to become a ukulele master. It's happening. Okay. Remember Beirut? Yes. The band? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, ukulele time, TV time. Right. So there's a show called Surviving Death on Netflix. Do you like spooky stuff? Uh, yeah, someone told me to watch that. <gasps> it's really good. It's mm-hmm. really good. Really good. And then the newer Unsolved Mysteries, I just realized that I hadn't watched the first half of the newest season. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's an episode about all of the supernatural stuff going on in Japan right after the tsunami and earthquake in, I think it was 2011. I've seen this. It was so good. Spooky. And the woman who comes in and she's like possessed by the by the spirits of these people who've been drowned. Yes. And the yeah, ghost, I just loved the it. ghost loved taxi passengers. Yes. And the taxi drivers. Well, I don't want to give anything away. People should watch oh, it. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say the thing that the yeah. taxi drivers did that made it extra poignant. Anyway, it's great. And I would highly recommend Surviving Death. Also, the first episode is the best. 
The other thing I just started listening to, and it's so good. It's a podcast from Gimlet called Science Versus. Mm, oh, I've and heard of this. It's so good. Uh, and the host is Wendy something, and she's Australian, and she's got a fun, charming accent, and she's fun and charming generally but they cover like all kinds of topics they talk there's they did a whole bunch on the coronavirus which i didn't listen to any of them because Mm. i don't i don't want to talk about it anymore (laughs) but what did i i listened to all the like sex ones because i'm a pervert Mm. obviously if you've listened to the show you know this science versus there's an episode on orgasms, an episode on astrology that I enjoyed. There's, let's see, what else? I listened to one on police shootings and the data around that. That was really good. Lyme disease, uh, <laughs> online dating. Can science find you love? And so they kind of look Have at you like... done online dating? Oh my God, so much. Yes, really? in the pandemic. So before I met my husband, there was like plenty of fish in lava life. Mm-hmm. and craigslist <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was like not cool it was mm-hmm. not socially acceptable and then i got married and i missed like all of the apps and so i've mm-hmm. just been checking them out checking them out hard and good i did yep. it for about a month and then i just i couldn't handle it i, I find it so awkward it is and you do also have to much like working comedy you have to develop a very thick skin <laughs> yeah. because people are flakes and and superficial and judgmental and i'm all of those things in online dating too so who am i <laughs> swipe left so you swiped left on online dating i did and it was, I, I remember someone sending me a message that was clearly a form message that he was sending to every single person that was just like i'm studying important dates in history want to be one and i was like this is enough i don't want this Ew. <laughs> i only responded to one person and it was like a martial artist from paris and i was like i can't say no to this he's offering to teach me karate and then he right. never answered me <laughs> ah man yeah yeah but you know what i've met some cool people and because of the pandemic you can't just like go on a date with someone without vetting them a little better first Mm -hmm. um you know and things were closed for a while but like i've met a couple very cool friends cool 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 okay so final thing i have on the docket is plugs is there anything you would like to promote promote I'd like to promote uh, my own face. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> and uh, such a good one. <laughs> so uh, good looking. No, I mean, uh, I guess Instagram. There's nothing really uh, to do unless you're in London and you want to see live shows. Those seem to be coming back in May, but um, I guess follow me on Instagram. And then on there, I'll usually advertise if I'm doing a Zoom show or something. I guess Zoom is easier for people from abroad to join in. Mm-hmm, and. Um, mm-hmm. That's all. And it's Claire House? It's Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E underscore H-A-U-S. And if you would like anyone for your voiceover, I'm also heavily available. (laughs) Do you do voiceover work? Only when I get asked. I don't have like voiceover agent or anything, but I love it. I love it. You do have a great voice. I just, if someone said, if you go into the countryside and you never see anyone again and you can do sort of butter ads or something i would be completely happy i would go away and i would go you know relax with the smooth creaminess <laughs> like that would be my ideal 
one of my ideal lives would be if to just I ever have a startup butter company. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first person I'm calling. Oh my god. You ever need anything advertised with a smooth, sensual voice? <laughs> I like it because like I'm not, not that way. And so if it comes out of my mouth, I feel like closer to that kind of life. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love anyway. it. Okay, well, you can find the show wherever you get your podcasts or at teachmetigerpodcast.ca.com was too expensive. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Teach Me Tiger Podcast. And if you go to patreon.com slash Teach Me Tiger Podcast, you can give us money. Ching, ching. $2 a month gets you access to all bonus episodes, and we release a bonus episode with every new release. Claire House, formerly yeah. known as Claire Staring House. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I You're feel a delight like and a treasure. We've been in a hot tub together, and I'm not even going to get a UTI. <laughs> <laughs> You're a charmer and a treat. <laughs> no, you are. You are. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> no, you stop. You hang up. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. It was really great to talk to you. It's been a very long time. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. No, thank you for having me. This has been like an afternoon tea with the queen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been super fun. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. And remember, it's a jungle out there. It's like the lion's been eating in Katz's deli and he's coughing something up. No? <laughs> the lion needs to lay off the dairy. <laughs> the lion does not sleep tonight. He's having indigestion. <laughs> <laughs>